in your corner, saving one investor at a time, working for clients, not companies, all while bully-proofing portfolios, totally committed to sharing academic truths about investing, always representing Main Street and not Wall Street. It's your Sound Money team, and this is the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. Hello and welcome to the Sound Money Investment Show at Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth, and we are a registered investment advisory firm. We are independent. That means we do work for clients and not companies. To receive your complimentary and personalized financial income plan, give us a call at 513-575-9654. If you're seeking advice on an old 401k, 403b, some type of employer-sponsored plan, perhaps even an NUA analysis before you do that faithful IRA rollover. Here's the point. If you're no longer with the company, then as a rule, your money should not be there either. We can help you roll that out into a tax-neutral IRA or perhaps do that NUA analysis first. Take control of your money. Give us a call, 513-575-9654. Visit our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email, share your thoughts to team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. And our home office is in Milford, but we have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. Greg? No, James, there are a lot of folks out there that have an employment relationship or have had with some of the major corporations that exist in the tri-state area. You know, it's P&G, GE, Cincinnati Bell, Kellogg's. I mean, the list goes on and on. And now we're faced with kind of an interesting headwind. Some people are being the equivalent of forced out of their employment based on the decision on whether to be vaccinated or not. So regardless of where you stand on that, that, uh, that issue, please know we're here to help you uh, create a roadmap, an individual financial plan to regroup. If you find yourself in that circumstance uh, and roll over 401k into an IRA and begin privately funding your individual retirement plan. So you can get a heads up on, are you going to succeed or not? Where do you stand? What kind of next job do you need? What type of compensation will you be needing to look for to keep your plan intact over the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, even 20 years to finish well and succeed? So keep that in mind. We're here for you. We would advise you just please look before you leap. It's complimentary. No obligation. Come see us. We'll help because um, you don't necessarily want to roll over your old 401k into the new 401k plan. You'll lose control of it all over again until you actually leave the company or the company leaves you again down the road. Now, also, James was mentioning NUA. Some of these big companies do cause, which isn't a bad thing, their people who transition or retire with 401k, they're holding highly appreciable stock from the company they work for. So when James talks about NUA analysis, we want to see what the most tax advantageous way is for you to roll that out of the company plan. How much to take is taxable at a certain tax break or, t- or tax bracket versus rollover for later, meaning it remains deferred and will be taxed at somewhat unknown amount later because any money that's not been taxed yet will be taxed when you take it out later, you know, whether it's sooner or much later. And what would the tax rates be then? You know, how much will you need to spend to buy Uncle Sam out of your retirement dollars? So you'll find all of this very interesting. If you just reach out to us, we will help you. So today, James, we're going to talk about financial planning rules of thumb, you know, hopefully good guidance, or is it pseudoscience? So beware, there are financial myths and there are rules of thumb 
that you should be aware of when designing your overall plan. We always hear about financial planning, you know, rules of thumb, such as the 4% withdrawal rule for income taking from your investments, or, you know, 80% of pre-retirement income is the target income rule. So what are the best rules? What makes the most sense? What stands the test of time and is still true today? It's important to have a track to run on when it comes to retirement planning. Uh, we want you to exercise at least a little bit of caution here in putting too much weight in any of these single planning rules could be the improper weight. So again, guidance, an advisor, a financial coach, someone who can quarterback and bring things together through the huddle into the execution of the play, and then scoring the points that are needed for you to win the game of retirement and financial success. So, well, how well do some of these rules work? Um, would they work for all shapes and sizes of retirement portfolios? Well, we know better. We know things just can't be so cookie cutter. So how can you know if your personal situation matches up well with each of the planning methods that we might discuss, have time to discuss? We'll cover many today, but what matters most is what's right for you. That's why you just need to call us, come in and let us help you. One rule of thumb may work better for you than someone next to you at the water cooler, your neighbor, your friends, or even your spouse. We'd like to take your situation as a household and work it together for the best outcome, of course. But today, James, we're going to talk about a few of these common rules of thumb, and, and we'll just see, you know, people hear these out there in the marketplace. They, they hear news and noise, and sometimes they hold on to the wrong concepts as some type of financial gospel. And we want to make sure our folks are on the right track here. Well, here's a reminder for people out there. On average, no one is average. <laughs> Keep that thought in mind. Now, as we get into the thought-provoking questions that tie into today's show, so for starters, do you actually need a million dollars saved in order to retire? comfortably. Maybe the key word there is comfortably. But is there a magic number? I know a million is a nice round number for most people. But nevertheless, what is your nest egg look like? What is your magic number? Is there a magic number? What's the best way to determine how much you actually do need instead? And here's a hint. It has to do with budgeting, has to do with your spending habits. So how does, for example, the 100 age rule work? Or another way of phrasing that, What's the best way to determine how much you should invest your nest egg in stocks versus bonds? How much should you have at true market risk? So typically, when we think of market risk, we think of equities version of risk. But bonds still have market risk. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. If you have stocks and bonds in your portfolio, technically, 100% of that is at market risk. And some safe money investments have opportunity risk, and they have inflation risk, where you're not making enough, even though your dollar's safe, it's going backwards. You know, just all kinds of little yes. key points. And here's, here's a big one now these days. What types of assets should be owned in a portfolio as a hedge, or at least a potential hedge against inflation? What should I do, or maybe what should we do, and maybe this is like, what should our area of focus be on first? If we only have a dollar to either save or pay off debt, what should we do as far as how we should spend that dollar or how should we invest that dollar? Should we invest towards retirement or should we pay off debt? It kind of cracked me up earlier when you're making one of the points and saying that, you know, what is the magic number? Uh, and we know it's not magic. It's about logistics and facts and planning on purpose. And then you mentioned this word focus. What should we focus on? And I think about hocus pocus or hocus focus. We need to focus on these material facts to come out and a logical conclusion as best we can with the highest probability of success in your overall retirement projection, your future. 
It really matters. Someday you're going to be constructively unemployed for a very long time with no paycheck, using assets to create proper cash flow to solve for whatever income gap between what you need and your other sources of income carried into retirement is what this is all about. So it needs to be a balanced attack. Which half of your money do you want to lose? Which half do you want to secure and grow? Which part do you want to produce income with on a guaranteed basis? I know so. And which part are you ready to speculate with at the appropriate level of risk and being aware of risk, both on the equity side and bond side, as James said, so you get the right kind of growth over time to hedge inflation and have liquid buckets of money on the side too for those things that come up during the journey of life. So just your word magic and focus triggered some thoughts there, James. All right. So as we transition into retirement, how dramatically could our expenses change over time. Notice I said our, usually it's a combination of the individual, the collective, me versus we. When picking investments, how much reliance should we have on their track record? That's like saying, does past performance equal future results? And then how about market timing? Is that really advisable that we should rely on maybe lucky stock picking? Could the 4% withdrawal rule keep us from running out of money at least prior to running out of life. You know, you mentioned track record investing. It's one of the three major mistakes. I mean, it's kind of like all of us go back in time here a little bit with the Olympics. It's like us saying we're going to take Carl Lewis and putting him to the next summer Olympics and let him run again just because he was so good in the past, right? You know, it just doesn't work that way. And we, we know that when you hear a simple example, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I shouldn't rely on track record investing. I shouldn't do lucky stock picking. I shouldn't be involved in market timing. Yes, yes, and yes, you are correct. All right. So, Greg, what's next? Well, let's take a look at, well, you want to check into some rules here. Which rule comes to mind? How about defining what rule of thumb actually means? Start with the definition of the definition. Um, using a rule of thumb to get started. Well, it's all fine and well. Problem is, oftentimes, things get taken a bit out of context. You ever been caught in that situation with either assumptions or took a little piece of information out of context, ran with it, didn't take you the right direction you might have found out? So we want to get the full context of your situation. You know, most of the time, you need to think much more specifically about your financial situation. What's best for you individually and collectively as a household in those situations that apply? And um, old Investopedia its definition of rule of thumb is an informal piece of practical advice provided with simplified rules that can apply in most situations. Well, we want to take that truth and make it more specific to you. So just a few thoughts on just the definition of rule of thumb. How about this one? It's an approximate method of doing something. Does that sound close enough for horseshoes, hand grenades, tax returns, and retirement for you? <laughs> So in other words, yes, it can work, but does it maybe give you just an approximate feeling of, yes, I think we'll probably make it through retirement okay, but you know that's what we mean by rules of thumb here, is they apply for the general masses because they're very generalized. There's not specific information or specific advice or guidance to the individual you. That's the whole point. That's one reason, and there's other reasons too, why you should come see us, Brown Financial Advisors, our phone number, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC. The talk station. 
Opinions expressed are solely those of Brown Financial Advisors and should not be interpreted as specific advice. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified investment advisors prior to implementation. Market-based investments involve risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. Insurance-based investments offer guarantees based upon the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. All insurance, tax, and mortgage services are offered through Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors, LLC. Brown Financial Advisors and Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors are affiliated companies and may only transact business in those states in which registered or were otherwise legally permitted. All good information to keep in mind. And welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borden. We are an independent RIA. That's a registered investment advisory firm. We do work for clients, not companies. That's Main Street and not Wall Street. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. Our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. And Greg, before we pick up where we left off, just to kind of go back and clarify, NUA, it stands for Net Unrealized Appreciation. And what it affords the opportunity for people to do, investors to do, is to separate the appreciation in their company stock and their company plan from, think of it as their cost basis. So the net unrealized appreciation, you have the opportunity to pay taxes only at the capital gains tax rate versus your ordinary income tax rate. So for people who are in one of these higher rates, like the 22, 24, say 32% tax bracket, you can instead potentially pay taxes at maybe only 15% on those capital gains. So it does afford an opportunity to save dramatically what you would otherwise pay on taxes. Once again, that's a reason to come see us before you make that decision of to roll over to an IRA or not. Uh, Thank you for that clarity because um, good information as it applies to your situation matters most. And as we go through rules of thumb, another way of looking at it, it's kind of like we're myth busting a bit. Uh, There are... (laughs) There are places you hear things. You see and hear financial planning rules of thumb by people on TV and the media. Oh, on the Internet, right? Must be true. Not. And in news articles, it's surprising that many people can take these rules, attempt to, and then try to follow them into retirement unchecked and made without specificity to their their actual financial goals and objectives. So anyway, it's kind of like... Um, well, it's kind of like playing darts blindfolded. You just you need to be careful. So let's get into some of these rules of thumb that might not actually work for you. So how about save 10% of your income rule? If you don't know how much to save, it's better to save 10% of your income than nothing, right? It's a useful starting place. Reality is that some people have already saved enough or possibly inherited enough money or might and don't need to save more or are really behind and need to catch up. You know, others can need to save, in fact, far more than the 10% of their income to maintain the lifestyle they, they prefer into the retirement phase. So, James, what about using age as a determinant? Well, this is the cookie-cutter approach that says because you're age 60, this is how much you should have at market risk. It's typically more of the mindset that says as we transition towards retirement, typically when you're retired, you don't have that recurring source of income coming in from your job from wage income. And that's why the mindset for most people tends to change to being a little bit more safe or more conservative in their investments is because 
they they have that mindset of they can't replace the lost nest egg if the market does have a pullback. So the rule of thumb that says based on your age, for example, the rule of 100 means that if you take your age from 100, the resulting number should be what you have at market risk versus what you should have at perceived market safety. Perception, though, maybe not reality because we're talking about the allocation of stocks versus bonds. So if you think about having a 50-50 portfolio, that's like saying if you're age 50, then you should have 50% in market risk equities versus 50% in safety. Many retirement plans through the employer try to mimic this by having people invested in target date funds or life cycle funds. It's kind of the same concept. Every single year, that particular fund gets incrementally more conservative as you get closer to the age or the year that you selected for your target date fund. That's a very good point. And not that target date funds are bad. We found that post-2008, they've been cleaned up a lot and are more efficient. And they're a good approach to choosing a fund that has a nice internal mix. However, you may not need the cookie size cut that ends up being oatmeal and raisin. You might be needing, you know, chocolate chip like uh, me and probably James. So what I'm saying there is um, if if you're going to retire in 2045, there might be a target date fund that says 2045. As James just mentioned, as you get closer to 2045, it gets increasingly and significantly more conservative. Somewhere along that frontier um, approach that uh, bringing in the plane, landing it, you get too conservative. Somewhere there is a break point where you probably cross over too conservatively. You might belong in a, a 2050 fund based on your needs for growth, income, dividends, just things in a different risk mix for your plan, your purpose, not some cookie cutter rule that just says because you retire in such and such year, you should do so-and-so. So thank you for mentioning that. I think it might be more of a default selection. So in other words, if you don't otherwise know what to invest in, and you're not going to seek professional guidance to help you to arrive at a conclusion of what you should be invested in, then the default selection of the target date funds is a good fallback option. So think of it as if you're going to do it yourself, you're not going to you know, ask or seek professional guidance, and you don't otherwise know what to invest in, then yes, maybe a target date fund is the appropriate way to invest. But which one? Exactly aligned to your retirement date or some variation? just to pick up a good mix of stocks, bonds, and other investments in a target fund, more aligned to your actual risk. And we would love to help you with that. There's I, only so much we can do looking over the soldiers' shoulders. I like to shoulders. come back to this analogy as well. Think of the, the King's Island, the roller coasters out of King's Island. Not everyone enjoys riding the beast, for example, the big beast versus the baby beast. Me, for example, even though I'm closer to 60 than I am to 50 at this point in my stage of life, I still love riding the beast. That's not the same for everyone, however. Not everyone enjoys or even appreciates market risk as having the potential ups and downs or the volatility and then the capital appreciation that typically occurs over time. Remember, this is not always going to happen where the market will always trend upwards. There's going to be volatility that is both positive and also negative. Not everyone is wired to enjoy that ride. Yeah, I just, and some asset classes might give you the growth on a smoother track. For example, Orion is pretty fast, a huge dip. That's one of the Kings Island roller coasters. It's newer, but it's smoother because it's a steel track. It doesn't actually have a loop. It has some really cool curves. And again, a huge drop 
I highly recommend it, even if you have back issues. The Beast, on the other hand, make sure you're seeing your chiropractor regularly. You'll still have a great time, even if they have to cart you out. So we don't want investing the sound or look like that. We want this, the steel coaster to keep you on a smoother track, still enjoy all the thrills of success, growth, inflation fighting, and actually income and cash flow too. When I think about just back to what we can do, we can look over your shoulder and help you with the 401k selections. We can't actively manage your 401k, right? Those are funds pre-selected, pre-chewed, pre-digested for you by some platform or brokerage group. But we can help you with all the private investments eliminate all the issues, if you will, and problems and inefficiencies and redundancies and internal costs, and make sure you have the right assets down to the stock held on your other private investments, IRAs, non-IRAs. I said non-IRAs. That's kind of unfamiliar to people, but I find people don't know what non-qualified means. It's just after-tax money you're investing. IRA is a byproduct of 401k rollovers or 403b rollovers or just money you've contributed to an IRA or Roth IRA. We know IRAs tax deferred, Roth IRAs tax free. There are limitations to the contributions on both, but we can help you down to the investment on all of those according to your plan. Maybe a way of, of memory pegging the qualified versus non-qualified. Qualified just means the government has put restrictions, sanctions, and qualifications on what you can put in, when you can put the money in, how much you can take out, when you can take it out. Versus non-qualified means the government does not have the qualifications or restrictions on those types of accounts. That's exactly. probably the best way of memory pegging what qualified versus non-qualified means. Thank now, you. the next part comes to our spending habits. So the rule of thumb says that we'll only need maybe 70 to 80% of our working income in retirement to still live comfortably. Now, the, the alternative or the converse of that is like saying, Yes, in retirement, we're planning on a 20 to 30% reduction in our standard of living. Which way sounds better to you? Which one gives you the warm fuzzies versus the cold pricklies? <laughs> well, I can just say, keep in mind that many of you, by con contributing to 401ks, are living without some of your total income already. And then if you factor in little efficiencies, like maybe one car instead of two, or two cars, but you're driving far less to and from, you know, just some subtle changes that occur in retirement phase versus full on employment phase of life. Maybe you're going to retire a mortgage and have some freed up cash flow. All of this is very relevant when we sit down and plan together. And that's the whole point is planning together. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Call us, we can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Morton. We are an independent registered investment advisory firm. We do work for clients and not companies. And it really does all start with having a plan. That means knowing what you own, why you own it. So whether you're seeking advice on an old 401k, 43 b IRA rollover, investment planning, retirement planning, income planning, tax planning, social security maximization, Roth conversion analysis, NUA analysis, and for some, perhaps even an in-service rollover, all those and more we can help, 513-575-9654. Our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com, email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com, and our home office is in Milford, with also locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, 
and Florence, y'all. Financial planning rules of thumb, good guidance or pseudoscience is our topic. And um, the pseudo part is it just may not apply to you. A single rule or collection of rules or rules that you choose to pursue without some good guidance may in fact lead you in the wrong direction. Uh, it's the pseudo part. So James, tax efficiency, you know, you threw out uh, some tax as one of our services. It all kinds of, it sort of threads its way through the entire financial plan, at least planning for today and, and, and for tomorrow, because we're all facing some changes in the tax code. Let us help you be more tax savvy on your investment selection, your choices of how you're going to get income in retirement from which types of investments, and, um, and just help you with brackets. What can you do to convert more to Roth from tax trap to tax free? It's becoming increasingly important. And James, we're, we left off, you were just sharing that, you know, the, the rule of 70, 80% of working income in retirement may be necessary to live comfortably, unless it's not. And you also framed in that, hey, uh, how do you like that? Or would you rather hear it like this? You're going to have 20 to 30% reduction in your standard of living. Well, we're hoping that you can come in with an income at about 70% of when you are working and still maintain your standard of living. So it's going to matter most on how you handle discretionary spending during the retirement. You know, for couples and individuals out there um, who transition from monthly net income coming in their checking account once or twice a month to, uh, well, you need to think about this. Every day in retirement is a Saturday. Uh, James was saying uh, during the break that he believes in, we, we do see this collectively, that a lot of people have a bit of a spending spree initially in retirement where every day seems like a Saturday and they have a lot of time and they're spending a lot of money experiencing a lot of things, but then it smooths out. So don't be too petrified of the thought every day is a Saturday. I mean, you love the time, right? You just may not like the cost. You used to get paid for your time. Now you're paying yourself to go make memories with your time. Uh, when do you spend the most money? When you're working on the weekends, right? So if every day is a Saturday, look out, look at travel, hobbies, golfing, boating, whatever it is. Just watch out for that that discretionary side of the cost of living. Um, James, there, there's kind of a big picture of some rules you might want to get to. Yes, we refer to these more like the healthy financial habits or maybe more like the common sense investing advice. Kind of starts with this. Pay yourself first. That means for those that are working, and this is almost a complete always to do this, always take advantage of the company match. So if there is an employer match of your contributions to your retirement accounts, that means take advantage of that match. It's like turning down free money otherwise. So what are the numbers? Maybe how about saving at least 5%, preferably 10 to 15% of your take-home pay for or towards retirement? Now, what should you invest in as far as at work? Should it be into a traditional versus the Roth type of account? Some of that depends upon your income level. Some of that also depends upon the age, the stage of life that you're in. Typically, the younger you are, the more sense it makes to invest towards a Roth type of an account, but not always. There's also a factor that's based on your income level. And if you're in a relatively sky high tax bracket, it might make sense to take advantage of the tax code now versus the perceived tax code later. And when we say pay yourself first, we understand that many folks, depending on how you see things, are paying you know, God first, your tithes offering, and then paying yourself. So please understand that there's a number we need to track for your retirement, 
And um, we understand that you may be doing some other things at an absolutely first pay basis in contributions to things that matter most to you. Greg, what's next? Pay down high interest rate debt. Spend less on interest by paying down the debt that costs you the most. And that's kind of a snowballing effect, or we call it landsliding. We don't necessarily take the cliches from other financial spokespersons, but it's just paying the high interest card first. When you eliminate it, you go into the next, or you could pay a smallest balance debt first. So you have the cash flow that's going to that to add in and kind of, uh, you know, accelerate the pay down of other debts and one by one targeting them until you have more and more money that was going to the debts on a monthly basis that are now exhausted and gone. So you just start to pile in like an avalanche onto the balance of any debts and they just start to go away almost like it's almost like it's magic. But what is it really? It's focus. Again, it's hocus focus, not hocus pocus. James? Create a safety net. Now, that does mean keep six months worth of your spending or income sitting in mothballs at your local bank, but you should at least have liquid three to six months of what is your household expenses. That also means track your spending. Make sure you know where your money's going every month. For some, that means doing a budget. For others, it means maybe having a little bit more discipline about stopping at Starbucks or spending things on stuff that you really don't need on a day-in, day-out basis. Yeah, tracking spending. Make sure you know where the money's going every month. Uh, home purchase should cost less than an amount equal to two and a half years of your annual income. If you're repositioning or downsizing, take that in consideration. That's kind of like a right size of a home, you know, because beyond that, you have maintenance, taxes, insurance, and other roll-up costs attributable to, attributable to, say, a home that's just too much value. Well, and there's times, too, like the current real estate market, where it just seems like prices are spiraling out of control. But you know, all things will come to an end. There will be a leveling off, perhaps even a dip in housing prices in the not too distant future. You know, ironically, James, I downsized and I feel like I, I paid too much. It's just the way the market is. But other people out there who have purchased in the past two years probably feel the same way. Just know, and hopefully this is true, that you bought a home you can plan to stay at for the next five to seven years. So whatever market cycle rolls through real estate will go full cycle and you'll be okay. Hopefully you didn't try to buy high and try to flip or do something that you get caught in the middle of a pullback in the real estate market. But anyway, just a thought. The next one has to do with life insurance. And this is for people who there is a need for life insurance. There's a suitability component of that. But when it comes to life insurance, the analysis should also include the term versus permanent form of life insurance. And if you're going to buy term, make sure that you invest the difference. That's the most important component of the buying term, which is a temporary form of life insurance for a permanent problem. We're all going to die at some point in our lives. So if you buy a term policy, is that term really the most, I'd say, cost efficient or the effective way of dealing with a permanent problem? Yeah, other considerations in life insurance might be uh, asset-based long-term care. We pay a certain amount in that leads to having a death benefit in case you don't go to a nursing home facility or some long-term care coverage if you do and other insurance products to consider that solve on a more permanent basis, uh, death and taxes. <laughs> Those are two biggies. It pays a big tax-free amount when you die, of course, but permanent insurance doesn't terminate at a certain point in time. You will find it outlives you and it will pay your beneficiaries more money than you ever put in it. And if you set it 
uh, say 10 years out from retirement to overpay it, you can build up cash value that can be loaned back to you tax-free as another tax-free source of income to beat these ever-increasing tax brackets that many of us face the headwinds of in the future. And how does it pay back the, the debt of the loans? With the death benefit, all you have to do is die. Well, here's here's a reminder about life insurance too that, and when we say this about term insurance, term life insurance, we realize, yes, during different stages and phases of life, it might be a necessary thing to insure against perhaps a premature death, especially when there's a large mortgage at stake, all right? So yes, at different times of life, it might be appropriate to have a, a term policy early in life, specifically as a hedge or insurance against dying when there's a large mortgage to protect, a large real estate to protect. But fewer than 5% of term policies ever pay out. You know, So not to bury the lead on that one, that's the whole point. You have a 95% chance with the term policy of it never paying out. There's more. There's much more. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borton. We are a registered investment advisory firm. We are independent. We do work for clients and not companies. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email, team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. And our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. Greg? Financial planning rules of thumb, James. We're looking for some good guidance here to provide the people. And, you know, folks, James mentioned investing in term is an old rule. Uh, well, buying term and investing the difference and people don't invest it or the term terminates before they die and they paid all that money for something that didn't pay anyone anything. That's all true. But at the core, that was investing. And hopefully you're always investing in the future. And along the journey, just know that um, historically, stock market returns over the long term have averaged about 10%. That's at full market risk. That means all equities, all stock. That's generally too hot for most investors. They end up doing market timing. They do track record investing. They do lucky stock picking. They get in and out of the market uh, out of fear and anxiety or get in the wrong time because of uh, exuberance and uh, greed, you know, the old fear and greed cycle. But Considering what a balanced portfolio is, that's not 100% stock. It's more like 60% stock, 40% bonds. And instead of 10%, you might be actually looking more the range of 7 to 8% over the long term. But our analysts are telling us, they're even warning us, that the next 10 years will not look like the past 10 years. The returns are expected to be lower, 20 or 30% lower. So, you might adjust that uh, seven to a six and that eight to a seven real quick on a balanced portfolio. When you might say, well, that, that's not enough, is it? Well, it's going to be enough to meet the average long-term cost of living and support a reasonable drawdown for your cash flow from your needs in retirement. So it's not a bad place. And well, why wouldn't you just be at 100% risk if you can make all that much more money on a return basis? Well, because the lows are much lower. Yeah, the highs are much higher. But people just like you and to some extent me and James here, we get washed out if we're not careful because of those down cycles, because of the fear and all that goes into bear market cycles. 
the, the psychology of it. But if a person will embrace a balanced portfolio, most people can can appreciate the shock absorption that that weight of stocks versus bonds provides, can be coached and counseled into not uh, bailing out or going to cash and doing all the wrong things at the wrong time, and stay invested in a balanced portfolio for, in essence, the rest of your forever. Now, we come alongside and say, hey, just don't get a 60-40 portfolio started. We want to get the right portfolio, 60% equity, 40% stock, holding the right stocks, the correct bonds. Okay, not a bunch of mutual funds, maybe some ETFs and some stocks by symbol and ticker, the right ones. It does matter. Not every 60, 40 portfolio is the same as the other, right? Anyway, James, how do you arrive at a percentage of one versus the other? Some you said use rule of 100. What are some thoughts there? Well, another rule that says that you can withdraw 4% of your nest egg. This is assuming that you have a nice sized nest egg. Because if you only have, let's just say, $100,000 saved up versus a million dollars saved up into your nest egg, what's 4% of 100000 versus what's 4% of a million? So sometimes the withdrawal rate, yes, it, it does help to say, well, in general, if I'm playing the arbitrage of my investments earning north of 4% and I'm only taking out of my portfolio 4%, then over time, I should be able to replenish my nest egg with the market gains versus my withdrawals that I need for current cash flow or current income needs. That's where typically when you say the 4% withdrawal rule works is because typically if you stayed invested, you stay disciplined, that your investments will earn better than the 4%. You know, for people, smaller investors out there, you gave a difference between 100,000 and a million. That's 40,000 a year at 4% versus 4,000. Well, if you're the person that needs, uh, well, let's say you have $200,000 and you need 4,000 a year, uh, so much per month, 4,000 per year to cover your, your needs in cash flow. Well, if your 100,000, let's say, is invested in stocks and it goes down 10%, what are you at now? Right, you're at ninety thousand. Four percent of that's thirty six hundred. But you still need the full four thousand. You're going down. And if you keep taking four thousand off the ninety thousand, like you did the hundred, you're going down further. You're going to rely upon the market to provide all of that recovery, and it may or may not do it timely. So if we split up some of your money and take the hundred thousand that you want the income at four thousand a month, I mean four thousand a year from, we can probably go into a fully insured account that gives you a guaranteed paycheck of four thousand per year on that one hundred, so you'll never have to worry about market risk on that. Then that, that will allow you on the other hundred thousand in that example to enter into a balanced portfolio or even invest more risky because you won't have a dependency on that money. So you can take a rule and you can misapply a rule. Or we can break down the rule in such a way that works for you. And then you just add zeros. Many of these concepts work well with the million-dollar account, too, because usually they have different needs, right? Everything seems to be at scale. Uh, is there ever time you got a pay increase, you didn't find some way to do something with that money? If you weren't careful, you'd spend it all and not dedicate to more savings, too? I think we've all been there. But watch out for some of these rules, like the 4% withdrawal rule. Let's see. Other things to consider when we're looking at uh, a mix of stocks and bonds, James. Oh, the as far as the allocation, a 60-40 blend. Well, if you assume that 100% of your assets needed to be allocated to market-based investments, this is, again, saying how or what you have in your portfolio, in your nest egg. And are you willing to put all of your eggs or all of your nest egg into the market? Do you have otherwise maybe an appropriate risk tolerance? 
to handle this type of portfolio. So going back to how you have your monies invested, sometimes we also look at not only the asset diversification, but also the tax diversification. So when you have different types of accounts, different tax status of accounts, that means you have IRAs, traditional IRAs, you have Roth IRAs, you have non-qualified accounts, non-IRA accounts. How are these different accounts invested? Are they all the same? Sometimes there's a sequence of where you take your monies out first, second, third, and maybe even fourth. Are you taking your money out of your Roth IRA first, or are you taking that money out last? So this is where sometimes your risk allocation can also change depending upon the tax status of your accounts. That's so true. Like if you were needing 400 a month, 4,800 per year to solve for your gap on a monthly basis, cash flow and retirement, and uh, you're taking it from a tax unfriendly bucket and say your tax bracket's 20%, just simple math. What do you have? You don't have 400 a month. You have 320 a month, right? Well, that's not enough if you really need 400. So it all matters how you're invested, what monies are split into different types of investments, fully insured with guarantees of income versus risk allocated market investments, and the tax status of the money and the taxable nature of the money you're receiving as cash as you receive it on a monthly basis ongoingly. The net cash flow, the net amount after taxes you'll have available for spending each and every month for the rest of your life throughout retirement is the real story. What's your story look like? A good one, successful, uh, promising, or is it confusing, uncertain, chaotic, and maybe prone to failure? Now's the time to get it fixed, get it projected properly, and enjoy, and enjoy what's to be your future in retirement. Well, let's look at the scenario of, of and yes, the assumption that you need at least a million dollars to retire confidently, okay? Now, you could also insert another dollar amount that says maybe I only need 500000 If it's the individual me versus the collective we, do I still need a million dollars to retire? You know, usually what, what we see in our experience is that at least a million dollars, yes, that's a great place to start. But as the saying goes, don't even think that you can successfully retire unless you have saved at least a million or two million or 1.5 million or 10 million. Different people have different numbers. It's not just one size fits all. It's not one number fits all. Because the other part of the equation is not only how much you need as far as the nest egg, the income, but also your spending habits. If you're going to spend a million dollars, then yes, you need to have at least a million dollars. If you're going to only spend a hundred thousand, then maybe appropriately is you only need a hundred thousand. So that that's the first and foremost consideration is not only is it where you start with for income, but also where do you start and then maybe end with as far as your spending habits are concerned. Gosh, James, reminds me of the old joke, and I know it's not funny, but we've seen it happen. We work for Main Street. We work for clients, not companies. Brokerage firms, Wall Street firms, you got to watch out. I think um, the joke kind of went like this. If you want to end up with uh, investing and and end up with a million dollars, well, if you work with Wall Street and brokerage firms, you better start with two million first. So it does matter who you work with, who you trust. Are they holistic? How do we bring it all together for you in your best interest? That's a fiduciary standard. And that's Brown Financial Advisors, your sound money investment advisor. So if you're planning to retire, you want help to determine where you stand, it's time to pick up the phone and schedule your complimentary portfolio stress test and retirement readiness review now. We'll spend that time with you necessary to assess your current portfolio, risk, overlaps, fees, inefficiencies that really exist. You need to know about them. So you're ready for that roadmap? 
just give us a call. It's complimentary. It is without obligation and we will help you in your situation. Phone number is 513-575-9654, brownfinancialadvisors.com. All right. Thank you for listening today. On behalf of Greg, myself, James, have a great week. Remember this, sound money, where good things are believable, achievable, and true for you.